0: The mitzvot. Mitzvah mem bet number forty two, where we begin the laws dine ebed Evri, The laws of the Jewish slave, which is positive commandment, as is written in the beginning of parashat mishpatim, Perich chaf aleph, <inaudible> pesukim bet and on, ki <inaudible> So we have over here all the laws of Ebedivri that are included in this mitzvah. Number one, to send them in the seventh year. Including in this law is if let's say the Jubilee, the Yovel year came out in the middle of his term that he goes out free as well. Included in this law is the law of Gira'on Kesef. That means he sold, however, he could pay his way out and redeem himself based on the amount of years left. And therefore, he could go free. Furthermore, the laws regarding if the master died and he did not leave a male child, so the eved also goes free. There's no inheritance to the daughters or to the relatives. Furthermore, the law of Nitzah, if the Eved decides to stay a little longer, so they pierce his ear, and then he extends his, uh, his stay. The point is, all these laws of Eved Evri are included in this mitzvah. The question is, what is the shorish? What's the root of this law that Torah allows us to have avadim? So, not to be misunderstood. The Gemara comes along and says, Kola kone Eved Evri atzmo Adon atzmo." When we talk about Abadim in this sense the real Evid is the master because he has to tend to the needs of the Evid, and he has to give him all the benefits that he has in the food and the house. So it's not like a slave that you have in your brain where God forbid there's abuse and you're taking advantage of him. Based on this the P'skinuk writes in a beautiful language B'nai Yisrael Am Kadosh the Jewish people holy nation Male." We are crowned and we are filled with all the good traits and all the qualities. So he says, because we have good midot and because we have good traits and we're compassionate people, that's where berakha comes from. Then he says that the most. Sterling of the most highest traits that a person could have. In the world, the most important traits that a person could possess is hesed and rahamim. Kindness and compassion. Therefore, Al So therefore we're obligated to have mercy on those workers that are under us and we have to actually treat the Eved with white gloves and we have to afford him all the Hasadim. This mitzvah applies only to males. Halakha says that a female cannot buy in Eved Evri. And it only applies at the time that the Yovel applies. And since Yovel does not apply today, so therefore, the laws of ebed do not apply as well. Now, If a person did not follow the rules of ebed when they apply, he's mivatel mm-hmm. mitzvat ase. Mm-hmm. But the Chinuch adds one more line as a postscript, which is out of the ordinary, after he tells us that if you don't fulfill the mitzvot correctly, you transgress the positive mm-hmm. commandment, he says, <laughs> V'gam milamed nafsho liyot achzar." By not treating the abbot correctly, you will acquire a cruel nature. And Then he says, It's almost, we could say, That you might be testifying, that you might not have been Jewish. Jewish people are known to be compassionate. The children of compassionate people. So when a person acts in a cruel way, besides... He's speaking about his own midot that are, that are not so refined, obviously, but he's also putting his whole lineage into question. Now the Hadush over here that we want to say today, a scenario that somebody would get sold as an Evid would be the following. Let's say he stole, he's a ganav, and he does not have what to pay. So Bed Din, in that case, would make an assessment and he would, they would sell him and the proceeds of the sale would go back to pay the person that he stole from. As the Pasuk says, But the Halakha says something interesting. When a person is a Ganav, not only does he have to pay principal back, but the Torah demands him to pay kefir. He has to pay a knas called kefer, which is double. So the question is, does an Evid Evri get sold to pay back kefil? Let's say he has enough money to pay back the principal, he just can't afford to pay back the kefil. So the Gemara says, Evid Evri only gets sold by Bedin to pay back principal payment. And they learn this from the Nambam. The Rambam writes That we don't sell an Eved On Genevah If for example He stole from a Goy or Hikdish. Let's say Eved, a guy, wasn't an Eved He stole from a Goy Now clearly you have to pay back the Goy Or you stole from the temple, from Hikdish. You have to pay back Hikdish He can't pay back, he doesn't have the money Harambam Rambam writes You don't sell the Eved in such a case What's the logic? So the way they explain Harambam is, is because in this case, there's no kefil in the geneva, which means there's no kefil by a goy, when you steal from a goy, and there's no kefil by Hekdesh. So it comes out as an interesting law. It has to be a type of geneva that has kefel in it, but you don't get sold for the kefil. You only get sold for the kere. What's the logic? What's the logic in that? Why a geneva that doesn't have kefel would not be subject to Ebed Evri? So Issa Esauzaman Melzer in the Eben HaAzel, he says a beautiful sebarah. Issa says that the whole deen of selling an Ebed Evri because he stole is a knas. It's a knas, it's a penalty. I mean, uh, we don't sell uh, 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 people uh, for every monetary obligation. The guy's a mazik. We don't sell uh, uh, him to pay back his debts. The guy borrowed money, he didn't pay back. We don't sell him necessarily. It's a limited case. He said, the Torah, put a knas on a, a guy. You stole money, your, your penalty is going to be, you're sold as a eved. So he says, and we know that the penalty of kefil is also a knas. When a guy stole, he only stole 100. Why do we make him pay 200? It's a penalty. So therefore he says, it's as if when, these, when we see the Torah was interested in penalizing the guy, meaning there's a kefel, so then we'll say he's subject to the penalty of Evid. But when the Torah did not penalize the Gaber kefel, so therefore we're not going to penalize the Gaber eved. However, it's the selling of the evid that replaces the penalty of kefel. Therefore, we don't sell him for the kefel. Which means, when we sell him for the principal payment, he got his penalty already. What's his penalty? He was sold as an Evin. So it's as if that's the kefel over there. So that if the only thing is kefel left, we're not going to have to pay for them. So there has to be kefel in the geneva to show us it's a type of geneva that's subject to knas. Once we're to be established that it's subject to knas, now it's subject to the knas of Timkotot or the we're only going to sell them for the principle because there's the principle the kanas already is in the, is in the sale and therefore we see over here the enyan of when this applies but again the lesson over here is that uh, obviously the Torah is trying to teach us uh, Musab that in the, in the secular world Ebed is looked at as something as an abusive relationship but in the Torah in the contrary the Torah says ki lo imach that you must treat him ki imach, like you. The food that you eat, is the food that he eats. And even if there's only one food, he gets it, and you eat something lower. And not only that, but when he leaves, and his term is up, the Torah says, you actually have to give him some money, before he leaves, in order to put him on his feet again. So again, it's a different, you saw the different mindset, of what the is. And this is, uh, 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 again another proof how a Torah is trying to refine the person even though in the jail system the jail system in America doesn't rehabilitate the criminal the jail system just puts him away to save him from damaging other people in our system we take a ganav and we bring him into our home and we try to rehabilitate him from so being a Jewish home in an atmosphere and see good things so by the time he leaves his term he's not a criminal anymore we turn the Ganav into a normal. So that's the biggest chesed that we're doing, not only a physical, but you're actually doing a chesed to his soul. But I, I continue the study of the Tariag Mitzvot. The Mitzvah that we're up to today is the 43rd Mitzvah, which is the Mitzvah of Ye'ud Ama Evriya, which is a positive commandment. What is this Mitzvah? That when a Yisrael born an Amma Ivriya, a Jewish maidservant, Torah says it's a mitzvah that he ultimately marries her. Or that he gives the Amma Ivriya to marriage to his son. The Pasuk we learn it from is in Parashat Meshpatim, Perech Af Alef, Pasuk Chet. Imra'a be'ene Adoneha, This mitzvah of marriage is called Ye'ud. When a normal person marries <coughs> a regular girl, we call it Kedushin, suin. When it's a Amma Evriya, a so that marriage is called Ye'ud. What's the reason why a Kadosh Baruch would want the Adon to marry the shivha? the Hinuk's language? hem Ha'el Al Ha'aniyah Ha'nimkeret Ve'al aviha. But the Olam has compassion on the poor girl that was sold. She was sold by her father because they were down and out. They needed the money. So God has mercy on her and the father that had to sell her. What happens when she becomes the wife? She goes from becoming a shifha. now she becomes a Give it it. She becomes a mistress. She becomes the Ba'ala Tabayit. It's an upgrade. And why does God do this? Ki el rachum vechanun hu. Because God is a God of mercy and compassion. Says the chinuch. The gam And even if the Adon doesn't want to marry her, huh? give it to his child, his boy. Ki gam ben even with the child of the master, tismach She'll be happy and she'll rejoice. Again, this is the manifestation of God's kindness on His creation. This mitzvah is only noheget when we have a ma'avriah. And that's only when the yovel is noheg. Today we don't have yovel. Now the interesting point over here is, is what's the onesh? What's the punishment if an adon decides not to marry the shifah? Or... He does not want to give the shifcha to his son. So says the chinuch that That's lo lo all it that is, he just didn't do the mitzvah. En you can't force him to do this mitzvah because it's optional. As he says, It's one of these things, which it's a rare type of mitzvah, with the Torah saying it's an optional mitzvah, and if you fulfill the mitzvah, he says tavo But if you don't fulfill it, so we can't uh, we can't punish you for anything. But he says if you do fulfill the mitzvah, that's very appropriate on the day that we finished the Masechet. He says ubanim tovim Vikeshirim Mizara'am. He says that if they do fulfill the mitzvah yirud, he guarantees that good children will come out of them kishirim and le'uyim and proper. The question over here is, halakhically: we know that when a person gets married to somebody, you need kesef kedushin. Aisha need be The question over here is, where is the kisef kedushin when it comes to ye'ud? So here we have a fantastic machloket between the tanaim. Maseret kedushin. Hakamim hold that the money that the master gave the father of the girl at the time of the purchase, that money can ultimately serve as well at a later date as the kiss of kedushin. Even though when he gave the money, he didn't give it over the Shem kiss of kedushin. It's built in that that money can also serve as the kiss of kedushin. Uh, at a later date, the mafraya, we say that when he gave it, it was given over for Kiddushin. Rabbi <coughs> Yoseb Rabbi Yehuda, coincident we have that rabbi, will be in today's dap as well. Rabbi Yoseb Rabbi Yehuda says that the kiss of Kiddushin actually happens in real time. The Amma is obligated to work for the, uh, for the Adon. When he's marrying her, basically what is he doing? He's being mochel, that she'abud. So the mechilav the shebuud at the time of the Yaud is the kesef kedushin. What's the nafkamina between the two, uh, the two, uh, the two opinions? So there's a very simple nafkamina. According to the and the Yehuda, she has to still have a Shaveh peruta of work that's left that is Mohel, because kedushin has to be at least a Shaveh peruta. But let's say, he makes the yud you know, one minute before she would have been free anyway, because she goes free after six years. Or after she becomes a, not six years, she becomes a, uh, a, a Gedolah. So therefore, if there's not a Shiva Pirutah left of work, so therefore the Kiddushin cannot be. Whereas, if you go to HaKamim, that it's the Mafreya, so already that kiss of Kiddushin was given, so therefore it'll be a Kiddushin. Last but not least, there's a very interesting Halakha that says that you're only allowed To sell an Amma Evriya to somebody that's possible to make Ye'ud to her. Which means, if let's say you want to sell a Shifcha to a relative, and the relative will not be able to make Ye'ud. For example, the father uh, cannot sell his daughter to his son. Because over there, obviously, the son cannot make uh, uh, Ye'ud on his sister. So, therefore, it only is a case where you'd have uh, Ye'ud that is possible. While Yi'ud is not mandatory, but it has to be Shayach. And therefore, the Halakha would say that it would be permissible to sell uh, 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 the daughter to the father. Because even though he would not be allowed to marry, but his son would be allowed to marry. Because he's marrying his his, uh, his brother's uh, or his brother's daughter, which is okay. So therefore, even if the father would not be allowed to marry, if the son would be allowed to marry, so that's also considered subject to you. But again, you see, the Torah is the Torah's way is a pleasant. That the ultimate reason why the Torah wants you to do this over here, the Torah doesn't want to have a shifcha. The Torah wants the shifcha to become the givered. Tariyag mitzvot rabotai, we've reached the 44th mitzvah, the mitzvah to redeem the Jewish maidservant, as it says in the pasuk, in perech half pasukhet pasuk chet, means, and you should redeem her. What is the essence of this mitzvah? So the chinuch explains it to us. That the master, or the father, should involve themselves in trying to uh, buy back the shavah in order to give her a chance to go free and go back to her father's house. How do you buy back the shavah? You have to remember that Adon paid money for the shivha. So let's say the mashal, the, the, the term is six years. That's how long the Shifcha works for. So let's say he paid 60 dinarim up front. And now it's after three years into the term. And she somehow was able to collect 30 dinarim. So the Alakha says that the Adon should accept the 30 dinarim as a payout, or buyout. And therefore, let her go free for those remaining three years. The Hinukh says, and he shouldn't be uh, greedy at that point and say, Hold it, you tied up my money for three years. So I want the 30 plus some interest. He says, Don't do that over there. So let her pay the 30. My money wasn't making money for three years by you. If you want to go out? Give me revah. The Torah says, don't do that. Whatever you paid, if she could buy herself back, receive it. The shortest of the mitzvah is obvious. He says, whose people uh, are large. whose people uh, are big. These people you want to hold a girl captive in your house? Let her go back home. I think it's causing her tsa'al. It's causing her father Especially that we're talking in a case where he didn't decide to marry her. Which means if he decided to marry her like we learned in yesterday's mitzvah Ye'ud. On the contrary, she went from a shaf'ah to being a geveret. Now it's a double tsa'al. Uh, double your border is a slave. And she thought, when she's going to be born as a slave, uh, one day I'll be the gebed. Turns out he says, I'm not giving you not to myself, but not to my son. So therefore, the mefarshim say, this causes a inui nefesh. It causes a lot of anguish. So therefore, the Torah commands on the father, why? Uh, Ki Amazing thing. which we were not allowed to belittle Benot Israel, the Jewish girls. And therefore what? Make a Jewish girl a shifha? Either upgrade her or let her go back to her father's house. And Allah says the father as well. If he has the money, they force him in order to make the pijon to buy her back. Otherwise it causes a pegam on the uh, mishpacha. So again we see that the Torah, like it says in the Midrash, Imrat Adonai sirufa Means the words of the Torah are purifying. The Tzrof is to purify. The Torah's laws ultimately purify a person's midot. If you follow them, it'll work on your traits of Rahmanut and compassion and mercy in order to ultimately, like we said yesterday, through the midot, this is the way that we get closer to Akadosh Baruch. Hu. <laughs> We're up to the 45th mitzvah in the Torah, which says that uh, once you you sell an Amar Avriyah, so the purchaser is not allowed to resell it. Which means once you bought an amah Avriyah, which is according to the Torah permissible, so you're not allowed to sell the amah again to somebody else. It's a law ta'ase. The Torah actually says, Lo, in Now the pasuk sounds like that you cannot sell the ama after she was bought. Amnuchri. Amnuchri sounds like to a uh, to a goy. So if you look at the targum, the targum explains it the gabar לְגַבָּר OHarim means to another person. So why did the Torah use the word Nukhri, which sounds like a goy? So the Sefira Hainuch writes, because uh, The reason why it says it in that language is because uh, this poor girl, she was sold. The Adon now is selling her again. So she's sold twice and she's still a ketana. So to her, this impoverished girl, it's as if she's being sold to a nukhri. though know, she's not. She's being sold to another Jew. But it's saying from the standpoint of the one that's being sold. She says already I was sold once, now I'm sold again. So the Yamara is saying when you sell her, but well, the Targum is saying, it's like you're selling a ta'am nohri. The shortest of the mitzvah is, in Chinook's language, mercy. Hashem loves people who act in a compassionate way. Compassionate way. Therefore, it's not enough the father was down and out and had to sell his daughter. But now you're going to come along and sell her a second time? Din z'noheh gam be'eved evri. Same thing applies to a male Eved. The one that purchased it, does not have a right to sell it again. Now, the Hadush over here is that although this applies to everybody who buys an Eved or an Amah, and it applies in all places, and it applies at the time that Eved Evri and Amah Evriya applies, which is in the times where there's the Yoveel, the Hadush here is if the person transgressed and sold the Amah Evriya again, writes eno lokeh. There's no malkut. This is a lab, ma'ase. He sold the Avid. So someone is say that there's no Evid over here. There's no Ma'ase because what do you do in a sale? You're just receiving money. The receiving of the money is not considered a ma'ase. But there's another big hadush why there's no malkut over here. What is the Status of the sale. If he did sell it, is the sale considered a sale? The halakhah says it is not considered a sale. The Torah negated and nullified the sale. Or even if he gave the as a matana to somebody else, the Torah negated that matana. It negated it. Which means, if you went to Betin, Betin would say you don't own it. So when I bought it, the Torah nullified the sale. All monies are exchanged back and make-believe it never happened. So therefore, the Bifashim explained, so you really never sold her. You intended to sell her, but you never actually succeeded in selling. So therefore, you only get malkut when you actually did something. Here, it's almost as if you had an intention to do something, but lohu ilu His actions actually never came to a, uh, a fruition. So therefore, there's no malkut in such a state. Now we get to one bit of analysis that the Gemara makes regarding this mitzvah. Let's say a father sells his daughter as a amma, which we said he can. The says, let's say she went free before the six-year term. She went free, and she's still a Kitana. The halakha says she goes back to her father's house. The father is allowed to sell her again. Again, he's allowed to sell her again. She went free, she went back home. He can sell her twice. However, the halakha says... Let's say the father, who was allowed to marry off his daughter, married off the daughter, Kedushin, he accepted Kedushin, and that's when she got married. And then what happened? Either she got divorced, or she became widowed when she was a Kitana, and now comes back to her father's house. He's not allowed to sell her anymore. Once already he gave her a Kedushin, that's it. He lost the rights forever to sell her. That's the deen of the Gemara. So the Gemara Kedushin has an interesting she'elah. What if the father didn't marry her off, but sold there was an Amma Ibriyah and the master made yi'ud? Remember we learned about y'ud? That's the law where the master is able to marry the Amma Ibriyah. And then what? The master died. And now what? She goes back to her father's house. Does the father have a right to resell her After a Ye'ud. Let's repeat the question. Although we said the father does not have a right to sell her after a kiddushin that he did, we are questioning does he have a right to resell her on a Ye'ud that the Adon did. That's the Gemara's question in kiddushin. So the Gemara comes along and says, a very uh, rabbinical answer, it depends. And what's the, what does it depend on? If you remember, we learned a machloket, how Yehud is done. Which means, the Adon is allowed to marry the Amavriyah. But we know that Kiddushin can only be done if there's kesif, if there's a monetary value that's given to the, to the girl. The Gemara asks, where is the monetary value here? So we had a machloket between the Hachamim and the Biyoseh and the Biyudah. HaKamim said, it's actually the money that was used for the purchase. Which means, when the Adon bought the Amad, didn't he give money to the father? That money that he gave to the father eventually can be turned into Kesef Kedushin. So when it's given to the father, it's given for two purposes. Number one, is for the sale. And if I intend to marry her, in that money over there is the Kesef Kedushin. So the father, according to HaKamim, received of Kedushin. Where is the coin to, to be with that? No, it's not in that money. It's the Amma that's actually uh, 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 receiving something from the Adon. What is he receiving? She owes the Master now her work. So, what is the Master saying to her? Which you, you don't have to work. So, that money that you owe me, that obligation that has a value to it, he's being back. So, therefore, he's giving something to the uh, to the ama herself. So based on this machlokid, they say like this: in the kiddushin that the that the father marries his daughter, who gets the money? He gets the money. So the hadush is that if he gets the money already, you can't sell her. You got money already. You can't sell her. You got kiddushin money. You can't sell her. So according to hakamim, since he got money for the kiddushin, also of the Ya'ud, he cannot sell her again. There is according to Yosef, Rabbi Yuda. No, he never got money for kiddushin. The kiddushin money was never given to the uh, to, to the father. The kiddushin money was given directly from the amah to the to, 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 the, to, to, to the adon to the amah, and of course he never received kiddushin on the yehud. So therefore, if she if he passes away, he would be able to sell her again. So there comes out we have a Mahlo and a big nafkamina between the reasons of how Ye'ud is done, the Nafkamina will be, can the father resell? If he received of Kedushin, it's not different than a regular Kedushin. He would not be able to resell. However, if it's not, that he received it, and the, the, the Adon gave it to her directly, so then already he would be able to resell. The big issue here, which we don't have the, the time to go into it today, but there's a phenomenal S'tira in Harambam. Harambam... Is poseik in one place he says Yehud is from the Kesef of the mechira, and at the same time the Rambam says and after the Yehud is done, the father has a right to resell her again. Chaurah, my match going against the Gemara because the Gemara said if you go like that reason, you're not allowed to resell again. Stiran the Rambam ayin in the Aharonim that they go to town in order to reconcile. But again, for us, this halakha, although it doesn't apply today, the reason definitely applies today. Mm-hmm. The Torah is coming to say, poor girl, she was sold once. Mm-hmm. Now you're going to take her, instead of marrying her and making her a gevirit. you're going to do it again to her and sell it to somebody else and she has to go to a strange mm-hmm. house. So the Torah says, even though you're selling her to a, a, a religious Jewish home, the Torah says, from her standpoint, it's la'am nukhrih. You're selling it to a, a foreign nation. And therefore, it's enough she went through the trauma once. Do not put it to her twice. And the lessons being, like the Hinook's languages, b'midat ha lefanah. Amen. We have the Tariyag Mitzvot. And we are up to the uh, 46th Mitzvah. It's a positive commandment that says the in Shemot Aleph Yud Sheera Kesuta Interestingly enough, this law is telling us that if a master ends up making Yud on the Amma, so he's obligated to support her. He must provide for a she'er, which is an allowance for food, kisuta is money for clothing, and onata is obviously the intimacy, the relations. And the Torah says lo yigra' He must not diminish from any of these three obligations. And although the source was actually said specifically by a master to his shefha, but the hinukh tells us in general, it is called all the This includes every wife Shelo does not davar to them things or these things. You cannot minimize these items from them. It's not only Yishav Ha, and he says, it's obvious, it's a khal vachomer, and the khal im of lo things. If sheken don't bring you have to make sure to support a shifha that you ended up marrying, so certainly a free woman that you married. Here's where we get the obligation that we have to we have monetary obligations and physical obligations towards our spouses. And those obligations are in Torah. Obviously these obligations apply and the obligation is on the male, not on the female. And if indeed a person minimize one of the three willingly uh, in order to cause her pain with Toma where, let's say he can afford it, but his intention is to deprive her from these things. So the hinukh says Avar <laughs> So you transgress this love. However, en lokin alav. There's no Malkut on it, for the simple reason it's a love shaimbo <clears throat> the way he transgressed this isood is by not doing anything, by not giving her money, and therefore that's being passive. So therefore, this law is not punishable by malkut. Now regarding uh, the halakhot, <clears throat> a uh, man, let's say, uh, who doesn't pay his wife an allowance or a salary, the lady is able to take his wife, lady lady's husband, to Beddin. And Beddin will force him to make these obligations or will force him to divorce his wife. And here we have the big mahloket in the Gemara between Shemuel and Rav. And you have a, let's say, recalcitrant husband that doesn't want to give his wife She'ira Kisutab. And he has. He has the money. But he doesn't want. So Shemuel says, Kofin Oto Lefernes. Shemura says you force him to mefanesh. You go into his assets, and you force the guy to give the money. And the Rav comes along and says, Kofin otole Garesh. When he doesn't want to pay, can't live with such a guy. The Gemara says, a sevara, if she wants a divorce, of course, you force him to give the divorce. the sevara Rav is, En adam dar benachash You can't let a lady live with a snake in the same, in the same hole, in the same basket which means he's using the money as leverage now. So today, the betin forced him to pay. What's going to happen tomorrow? They're not going to pay again. So she can't live like that, where one day she's going to get support, one day she's not going to get support. So Rab says, even though he has the money, doesn't matter. But you see that he's using the money as leverage. So therefore he says, you cannot force a lady to live with a snake. The question over here is, let's say the man doesn't have the money. Azim is skin, he lost his job. He doesn't have the ability to support. And his wife is saying, okay, listen, I have no claims against him, and I want a divorce. I can't live like this without support. So here we have a big mahloket amongst the Aharonim. Someone has said that even according to Rab in this case, you're not going to force divorce, because the Niskeen, Rab will say you only force a divorce when when he has and he doesn't. But here he doesn't have, so they're only forcing it. It's not his fault. And some say the other way. In this case, even Shemuel will say, Kofil Garesh. Why? Of course, in the other case, Shemuel said, because he has. But if he doesn't have, so what should the lady do? Let, let, let her suffer? Because she doesn't have? So therefore, there's two ways of looking. And of course, it doesn't only apply to she'era and kesuta. If her husband deprives his wife from onata, also, that would be a claim. And kofin negarish. Because again, that's one of her conjugal rights. That's the right of the lady. Of course, the Gemara discusses what is considered the conjugal rights, it depends how uh, his business is. Depending on how often he's home and how much time he spends away from the house, that's where the rabbis establish uh, what his rights are. Now, of course, a lady has every right to be mochel on all these things. If a lady comes along and says, keep your money, keep all of your uh, 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 you know, for clothes and all that, and I'll support myself. Uh, she has the right to be mochel, however. There's a big machloker in the Gemara, if, let's say, a husband marries his wife, al tenai, al menat she'en alai, ve'onata. That means he stipulated in the marriage that he doesn't, to, he doesn't want to pay these things. So there's a big machloker in the Gemara between the Bimeir and the Bihuda. The Bimeir says, the condition is not a condition because you matne'a al ma shikatu The Torah says you have to pay she'era ve'onata. You have no right to come along now and make a condition on something that Torah mandates you, so therefore your, your Torah is batel. There is a Bi Yehuda, comes along and says that it's true, I agree with this rule of matne al but not on monetary obligations. And since this is a monetary obligation, you're able to say that I'll marry you, but I'm not paying, and she can accept. That's the machloket on that. But everybody agrees that a lady can come along and say, I'm mocha, that's not matne al torah she has the right to say, I, uh, I, I don't accept it. The reason is different, because over there by the Tanai, the whole Tanai is the marriage is based on that, he was mevatelet. When she says mocheel, the next thing she can say, I'm not mocheel, I want it back. When you made the condition, my kiddushin is talui on negating the She on onatah, so then already it's considered matnea amash Lesson being over here, that if the Torah is telling us that you have to support even a shifcha, that you made yud on, so Kalba Homer, you have to uh, uh, support your wives. Do not make a mistake. It has nothing to do with the Ketuba. People think, oh, the Ketuba is what obligates us. No. The Ketuba is a rabbinical uh, uh, obligation on top of She'ira Kisuta Onata, that God forbid if the marriage dissolves, so then there certain monetary obligations. But even if you didn't sign the Ketuba, People think, oh, the Kedubah is mandating you she'ra k'asuta. No, the Torah mandates she'ra Sutta. And the Kedubah is something above and beyond. So a person has to know charity begins at home. And many people, they give a lot of tzedakah all over the world, and all over the different places. When it comes to their wives, they come along and they hold back money. This is the mitzvah de oraita. Every time a person gives his wife money, every time his wife takes money for clothes, begadim, obviously modest clothes. Obviously, the husband is fulfilling a mitzvah. So we cannot only uh, look at this as just as a social item. This is actually a mitzvah from the Torah. So we're up to the 47th mitzvah. So we know that there's four mitot bedin. The sefer HaChinuch actually counts each one as a separate mitzvah ta'aseh. So there's a mitzvah and bedin in today's case to uh, execute somebody that commits an avera that's punishable by chenek. Chenek is strangulation. The source pasuk is in pereh pasuk yudbet in shemot makke ish vamet mot yumat. So the uh Gemara Sanhedrin says, anytime it says mot kol mitah uh, amura baturah setam ena ela chenek. So therefore, the fact that it says mot so we learned that it is mitat chenek. Now, obviously, uh, there's a reason why the Torah gives death penalties to certain Averot. Hainuk explains it. If there was no fear of punishment or justice, so people would just kill each other. There would be uh, in a the lawlessness. Therefore, if somebody murders, he's put to death. Now, that's the logic. The logic is you need justice in order to deter people from making aviru. Besides the fact that it's a kapara for the sin... On a simple level, it's a deterrent against major crimes. Now, there's six Averot that are listed that are punishable by Mitat Henek. The six Averot is Eshet Ish, somebody goes with a married lady. Ginevat Nefesh, where we learned, kidnapping, lotegnob. Haka'at Abba'im, somebody that hits his mother or father and causes a makah. Zaken Mamre, Zetamin Hakam, that rebels in the Halakha against the Sanhedrin, somebody that prophesizes in the name of Abu Dazara and a regular Nabi Sheker. Those are the six that are punishable by Chenech. Chenech, of course, is where they take the person, they put him in a uh, ashba, into like a, uh, a dump of certain, uh, you know, waste, and then they take uh, two sudarim, two handkerchiefs, and they wrap it around his uh, throat, and they pull from both sides. Now, the Hadush is here is... Well, there's no beracha on mitad bedin, even though no bedin has a sivuy according to the chinuch. So the chavodah should make beracha. was not a sivanu. You know, laharok Adam bechenek. The reason why there's no beracha on this mitzvah, the mepharshim say, is because does God want somebody to die? Ultimately, not. Like we say in the tefilot, on Yilah on Kippur, he hafez he hpos, Do I want the rashah to die? Absolutely not. I want him to return from his bad ways and live, like the Pasuk says in Yachazkel, and therefore the Gemara Hagigas says, when the Rasha is suffering, Borei Olam says, I suffer with him, meaning God says, I become weak as well, and therefore it would not be way to be mivarech on something that causes HaKadosh Baruch for example, there's a halakha that Tosfur brings down in uh, Megillah, that we don't make a beracha on the tokhahot. For example, uh, when we start reading the tokhahot in Kitavo, or in B'chokotai, so we send up somebody to the separate Torah, but we don't start with the tokhahot. We start from the berakha, and we read the tokhahot, and then we end with beracha and we don't stop in the middle. Why? Because if you stop in the middle, you'd have to make a berakha on the tokhahot. We don't want to make a berachah. Even Borei Olam says, the tukahot, even God is pained that he has to give the tukahot. So how can you make a berachah? Similarly, for example, we don't say hallel on Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. Why? It's a Yom Tov. And the Gemara HaKamim say, Efshar Melech Yosef Vakiseh Din, Shira. We're going to have the judgment, the books of life and death are opened up in front of God. No time to sing Shira. So similarly over here, the time you're killing somebody, they're not happy with it because it's so therefore we don't make a on such a mitzvah. Now, the big chedushin, I don't want to make too much of a fuss out of it, but the the Sefer over here gives an example of Henech. The example that he gives of Henech is a person that is Roseyach B'Mezid. If somebody murders on purpose, so his punishment is Hinak. And he says, makes so much sense, because Hinak is the quickest of all the punishments, and therefore, midah, keneged, midah, when somebody murders somebody, he tries to murder him in the quickest way possible. And therefore, since he does the Avirah in a very quick way, because he doesn't want to get caught, so midah, keneged, midah, the one that killed quickly gets killed quickly. Whereas if somebody commits another type of sin that takes a little more time and takes a little more pleasure in doing it, so therefore they get a different type of punishment, serifah or sekilah. That's the example that he brings. Only problem is, the punishment of rotzeach Mezid is not chenek. The punishment of rotzeach b'mezid, the Gemara clearly says is saif, is death by the sword. Uh there's no way to reconcile this. the Sifir Khinoch. The Minhat Khinuch over here says uh Bedevarab Timuheen the Meforash Beshas. It's a Meforash uh and Shas uh clearly that uh Ha emetu Diro Sea Mittato and therefore the elu edu So it's really hard to reconcile this Henuch. Let's just say it was a ta'ut from the Matfis. How can he say that Ozea gets chenek? And he gives a whole reason why he gets when it's saif. Furthermore, the chinuch says that this mitzvah is no noheged only in Eretz Israel. She'en danim dinei nefashot, ela b'Eretz Yisrael. And this is when Hat comes along here again and says, Devarav temuhim, temepurash beshas makot, that noheg ba'aretz dinen so long as the Beit Hamikdash is k'ayam, and uh, there's avodah with the Kohen, and the Sanadini is sitting in the Lishkata Kazit. When the Horban Beit Hamikdash took place, or the Sanhedrin say went into Galut, then they don't do v'danin ifreshot. So why does the Chinuch say that only Dan dinen ifreshot beis Yisrael? It's a difficult Chinuch to, to to understand this. This, this today's one. Nonetheless, he says, The betin that has the ability to execute and does not, clearly is transgressing this positive commandment. His punishment is great. Without the uh, justice, people will swallow each other, cannibalize each other. Now, it's interesting to point out that while this is the shita of the chinuch, he brings the Namban. The Namban does not count the four mitot bedin individually as separate mitzvot aseh. He has one mitzvah that says, hara That's it. He counts, hara, get rid of the evil from your midst, and he counts it. Uh, maaseh, whether you're going to count it as separate or not, the Hinukh actually says at the end, you could pick it. You want to go like me, you want to go like the Rambam. Actually, the Rambam goes like the Hanuk as well. Whether well, you want to count it as four mitzvah say or one, but nonetheless, that is the mitzvah. Mitat tov is true today. Mitat Henek does not apply because we don't have a better mikdash and Sanhedrin. However, the Gemara Sanhedrin says that even though the dean of Henek, uh, Henek uh, is not around today, but Mitat Henek is still around. And therefore, Bori Olam is able to... Um, uh, bring other situations that are similar to Henik in order to bring uh, the people to justice. So that we have to be key concerned that even though there's no actual mitad betin today, but din arba mitot betin lo batlu, therefore there is still a measure of justice. Tariyag mitzvot. So we're up to number 48. So there's a negative commandment in the Torah that one is not allowed to wound or hit and make a wound to his mother or father. The Pasuk in the Torah for this is in Shemot, Perech Ha'f'alef, Pasuk Tedvav Umake Abi, Ve'emo, Mot Yumat. Now, interestingly enough, it just says if you do it, if a person does it, Mot Yumat, but it doesn't say don't do it. We know there's a rule that you can't punish unless there is a warning. Now, the, the pasuk is just stating a fact. So the question, of course, is where is the azhara? So the azhara for this is actually in a different pasuk that talks about betin as an obligation to give somebody that transgressed a sin that's obligated malkut. He has to give him 39 lashes. So the pasuk says... We're not allowed to add an extra lash. And if somebody adds an extra lash, it's going to be hayab. So the Hamim say, well, if you can't uh, hit somebody that's guilty, an extra lash, or so certainly you can't hit your father. So it's included, or mothers. So and that's included in the Azara of. This is only talking about. Where the wound let blood, then, of course, the person is going to be Hayav. Regarding uh, the punishment, the punishment is Mot yumat. As we learned in yesterday's mitzvah, Stam Mot yumat is Mitat Henik, so a strangulation. Similar case, if a person hits his friend and he causes him to bleed, there's no death penalty on that. The penalty is Mamon, he pays reparation. When it comes to a parent, because obviously the parents brought him to the world and therefore you owe him hakaratatov. there's a much higher obligation so there is a death penalty. This supplies in all places all times, male and female alike. And uh, the halakha uh, says that somebody might argue we understand that if a person hits his mother. So everybody knows who the mother is. There was witnesses to prove who the mother is. However, maybe you could argue, how can you kill somebody for killing his father? How do you really know who the father is? So from here, the Gemara learns a famous rule, that from here we see that we kill a person based on Hazakah. Since we have a Hazakah in the street, everybody understands that this is the father, and he treats him like a son, and he treats him like a father. And therefore, you could somek on the status, that that's the way it seems. That he is the father, and therefore the hazakah is strong enough even to uh, 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 affect a death penalty. The question would be a convert. What about if a ger converts? We have a law that says, ger shenitkayer kekatan shenolad dameh. So then the question would be, if a ger, let's say, hits his parents after he converts. But once he converts, he's really not related to his parents anymore. And therefore the halakha says that menat torai would not get a death penalty. It's like hitting a stranger. However, it's asumid Rabanan. Why is it asumid Rabanan? Because we don't want the people to come along and say that when he was a goy, it was forbidden. Now that he's Jewish, it becomes permissible. We don't want to make it as if his conversion made him leniency. So therefore it's still going to be asumid rabbanan midin, makeh abiv ve'imoh. The question that we ask today is an interesting question. If let's say the father was not circumcised, is the son allowed to perform a berik milah on the father? The problem is over here is, he's causing him to bleed with a wound. What do you say, well, this is a mitzvah. So the she'erah is, is it mutar for a son to circumcise his father? So one logic argued the following. We see that milah is duches Shabbat, and Shabbat is punishable by a death penalty. And still milah overrides it. So therefore, just like making a makkah to a father is punishable by a death penalty, milah should override it. However, that argument is not perfect, because milah that's dochei Shabbat is only a milah bismana. However, milah in its time, but over here, obviously, if he's giving milah to his father, it's not in the time. It passed the time. So you have no ayah of a milah shalom Another proof that they want to say is that a milah is dochet sala'at. Let's say there was a leprosy on the milah and you're not allowed to cut leprosy. If a leprosy is on the body, you're to cut it off. But the Allah says that if the leprosy is in the place of the milah, you'll be able to cut it off. <coughs> it means the aser. Abritmilah is doche the of Tana. So why don't we say the same thing over here? The well, there's a will be doche the of Makabi Where is the difference over there? The reason why it's doche is because you don't know if the Tsanat's can ever leave. So therefore we gotta do the Britmilah. But over here, wait for somebody else to do the Britmilah for the guy. You're not the only one. If you won't be able to do it, you're the son. Wait for Mohel to come and he'll be able to do it. So therefore that logic also is not perfect. The third logic they like to say on this is that we know that if, let's say, the child is a doctor, mm-hmm. so is a child allowed to do a medical procedure on his father? The halakha comes along and says that in certain cases where, let's say, he's the only one around, it would be permissible. The reason why uh, 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 they want to say that berit milah would be like uh, a because what's between refuah and nefesh or refuah taguf? to the fu'ah for his soul to do a brit milah. And therefore, it's a medical procedure. Not a medical procedure for his body, but a medical procedure for his soul. So therefore, fuah would be permissible. The reason why the rabbis institute that one should not do a medical procedure on the father is the following. Because it's true, even though you're letting blood for medical purposes, they're worried that you might let little more blood than necessary. And that extra blood would be problematic. So therefore, again, even though the brit milah Technically, you're doing it for a mitzvah, for the fu'ah, but they worry that, again, might be an extra cut. That extra cut is not the fu'ah anymore. So therefore, the ruling is, ultimately, they'd rather somebody else do the milah on the father, and they really don't have a clear-cut heted, unless he's the only one around, and nobody else can do it. That would be the same thing. Sometimes, God forbid, the father needs an injection, an insulin, or things like that, and the only one around is the daughter, or the father, or the son, to give the shot. When he gives the shot, it lets blood. So ready, they already say, if somebody else can do it, it be much better. A nurse, or an aide, or something like that, so you don't have the problem of habala, even though it's for the fu'ah purpose. But again, they worry that it might be uh, an extra. And even in the case where they allow it, they tell the child that she'd ask the mother or the father, mechila before they do it, in order that the chazash <clears throat> of even come close from transgressing this isur. Tariyag mitzvot, 49, mitzvah memtet, which is the mitzvah of bedin, positive commandment for bedin to enforce the dine kenasot, As the pasuk says in Mishpatim perech Al of pasuk yudchet, v'chi yirivun anashim, two people are fighting, v'kai shetra'ehu, and they hit each other b'eben or with a stone or with a fist, and one of them falls, uh, falls to the ground, and mm-hmm. he gets sick. The Torah says that the thing will enforce the hovel, the one that damaged, to pay uh, the uh reparations. Uh, that's the laws of uh, paying for uh, nezek. Uh, the shortest of the mitzvah, obviously, is you have to have justice in the world. And if you're not going to have justice to make people pay for their damages, so then the world, the world will be uh, chaotic. Of course, this law applies specifically to the Bedin. We're obligated to judge and punish a hovel. This applies to, obviously, men, because they are the judges. However, the payments apply to both men and women. doesn't matter if a man is mazik or a lady is mazik. They're still obligated to pay. Uh, What are the payments? So the Gemara lists to us, actually, five payments that are part of this mitzvah. They are called Nezek, Sa'ar, ripuy, shevet, and boshet. Let's just review quickly what the definition of these five payments are. Nezek is the damage itself. For example, let's say a person was permanently damaged. For example, God forbid, let's say, they cut his hand off as a result. So therefore, they have to pay for that permanent damage. How is it, how is it assessed? So they uh, make a calculation of how much he was worth if he would be sold on the slave market with his hand intact, and how much, he, how much he depreciated after the fact that his hand now was cut off and they paid the difference. That's called the payment of nezik. Then you have Sa'ar. Sa'ar is pain, pain and suffering. Now how do you judge how to pay for pain and suffering? So the Gemara says how much a person would be willing to pay to abstain from getting the pain that he suffered. Which means, uh, you know, let's say he got burnt. It's painful. The guy says, I'll be willing to pay $1,000. They didn't do this to me over here. So that's the way we calculate how much it's worth it to him to be saved from the pain. The Pui, obviously, is doctor's bills as a result of the uh, uh, the damage. Shevet <clears throat> is uh, what we call today workers' compensation. That because uh, as a result of the that fact they might be laid up for a couple of weeks or whatever it may be, so he's not working. So therefore, they have to compensate him for Shevet for the time that he's been out of work. And then, of course, boshet. Boshet is shame. You know, when a person gets embarrassed uh, during the damage, like the Torah gives a case where a person, let's say, was shamed as a result of the damage. So therefore, the betin uh, the has to make a calculation of how to calculate how much to pay for the shame involved. So again, the five damages are Nezik, sa'ar, ripui, shevet, and boshet. Now, uh, even though a person, we have a general rule in the Gemara kama which is a very important rule, Adam Mu'ad Le'olam. A person is always responsible for his action. A person cannot say, well, I didn't see, I didn't notice, it was a mistake, it was an accident. A human being always has to be responsible for his damages. Adam Mu'ad Le'olam, Ben Be'ones, Ben 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 Yashen, Sleeping, awake. A human being, a, a human at least, can never say, uh, listen, I'm sorry, I wasn't awake. He's always going to have to pay for his damages. So the big question that the poor scheme have is regarding doctors. You have a doctor over here uh, that's going into doing an operation for somebody. Let's say, God forbid, the operation is not mm-hmm. successful and he causes the patient uh, tzar, or he causes him nezek. So do we make doctors uh, who have reshut from the Torah to do refu'ah? We're I mean, going to learn soon that the poyer teaches us that doctors are given from the Torah the right to give uh, uh, rifu'ah. questions let's say if uh, something happened do we say by a doctor also hey you're an Adam Adam le'olam. doesn't say uh, you know a special clause for doctors or do we say maybe there's a different sevarat to exempt them so I saw two sevarat over here one is because of tikkun olam they exempt doctors because if you're going to make a doctor now have to pay every time something went wrong, assuming that there wasn't gross negligence, obviously, he did the operation like he was supposed to. Now the, the patient didn't make it. So now every doctor knows that he can be sued in a bed din to have to pay for reparations. So people are gonna say, what do I need to be a doctor for? It's too, it's too risky. So <clears throat> So people will not desist from becoming doctors, which we need. So therefore, the, uh, the Torah or the hachamim exempted them. Furthermore, uh, another explanation is uh, in the olden days, doctors were actually appointed by Bedin. Every town needed a doctor. So the Bedin, when he would have a legitimate, you know, qualified doctor, they would give the doctor permission to do his work. So therefore, he damaged Bereshoot Bedin. Or today, the post schemes say, you cannot be a doctor unless you get a license from the government. So that means he's uh, governing, or he's uh, uh, practicing, I should say, Bereshoot. And therefore, uh, it's uh, permissible. Uh, meaning, if he damaged, it doesn't have to be. But again it should be pointed out this is only talking about where it is not gross negligence. For example, let's say you had to operate on the right arm and he did operation on the left arm. So we don't say, well, you're a doctor, so therefore, uh, you know, you're exempt. Now, that's gross negligence. Obviously, he's going to, uh, have, to uh, have to pay. Or, for example, a dentist that was supposed to take out one tooth, took out the wrong tooth. He took out the healthy tooth. You he can't say, well, so I'm a doctor, I have, have a license. No, that's gross negligence. Obviously, he's going to have to pay. Uh, Bet Dean... Uh, in such a case, would not be able to obligate a doctor. In a normal case, however, the Post keeps say, although he's patur Bide adam, the doctor, he might be Hayab bideh There's different levels on shamayim, they hold it by a higher, higher standard, so he still might want to just pay it, just so he gets off the punishment bide shamayim. There's a famous government, Vilna, that's it to repeat over here, even though when the Torah talks about damages, it does not say that you pay of the five damages It actually says Eye for an eye Ayin tahat ayin Sounds like If you gouge God forbid Somebody's eye out Kasher asa Ken Like you did They do to you So uh, The government of Vilna says How did the Gemara learn Ayin tahat ayin eye, eye for an eye Means money Ultimately we're saying It's a monetary reparation So the government of Vilna said Because if you take the word Ayin Ayin Yud Nun So it says Ayin tahat ayin Take the letters that are tahat ayin, that are beneath ayin. Well, under the yud of ayin is a khaf. And under the nun of ayin is a samich. And under the ayin of ayin is a peh, that spells kesef. So therefore, ayin, tahat ayin. Don't pay for the ayin, but pay for what's tahat ayin, which is actually kesif. And anyway, the, the Mephari point out that you really can never do eye for an eye, because it's never going to be the same. You cannot take out the person's eye like the like the damage you did to the damage exactly. For example, the I can give an example? Let's say God forbid, he took out one eye, and it caused him to become blind because he was missing an eye already. So when you do eye for an eye, you're only taking out one eye. Where he can still see. So therefore, it's really not justice. It's really not kasher i kenya say lo. In this case, we took out one eye, he blinded him. He's taking out his eye. He still can see. So therefore, it's very hard to uh, make it exact. So therefore, for sure, it didn't mean that. That's the code of Hammurabi, eye for an eye. We don't follow that. We follow Torah law, which is a But again, that's a to make the proper justice in order that people get compensated for the damages that are done. Number 50 so the mitzvah of bedin to execute people that commit averot that are punishable by saif death by the sword, sword. Mitzvah mm-hmm. emar, nakom so the nakom yenakim the revenge that the torah is talking about there in shemot kap alef khat, the gemara learns in sanhedrin is referring to mitat saif which actually is a, um, it's an easier death than Sikilan Serefa, however, Henek, as we learned, is the most lenient of all the deaths. This is a sharp uh, sword, and they uh, decapitate his head. Again, not from the back, because that would be more painful, but from the, the front, from the neck. Example of somebody that is guilty and punished by Sayyif the Hinuk gives the classic example of Makhe Abdo Ha Torah allows us to own Evid Kena'ani. Uh, but the Torah does tell us that even though he's our property, and even though he's considered Kenyan Kaspo, and even though it's an asset that you actually inherit to your own children, however, if he uh, does something to the Evit as a result of him that causes him to die, so the master. Is hayaf Saif Femitat mitat Kenani. So the Hainuk explains Shadatza El Laakor Mitoch Amua Kedusha Ra Halev B'Azariuta Gedola. So the God wanted to uproot uh, from His nation, His holy nation, uh, cruelty. That if somebody becomes enraged, to the extent that he's going to uh, hit uh, his his slave, and as a result, it's going to cause him to die. Uh, Now, even though uh, it's an acid, as we said, it doesn't matter. So therefore the Torah is again coming to tell you that uh, even to get angry and to lose yourself on an Ebed Kana'ani, that already is punishable by death. Now if let's say a bed din does not execute people that are guilty, the transgression is a positive commandment, and the chenuk slashon is the oncho gadol is a positive commandment. Betin has an obligation to give Saif. You're committing a negative commandment to get it, but is on bet to execute. And therefore, uh, also as we learned uh, in a previous Sefer Chinuch, the punishment of murder, Rotsayach, is also mitat Saif as well. Now the Pasuk says, Yad Ha'idim T'yebo Barishona. Halakha says that when we execute somebody in Bedin so the witnesses themselves are involved in the execution for example let's say Sikila. so the witnesses themselves will throw the first rock uh, what's the logic why we want the witnesses to participate in the actual execution after all the medzvah is Bedin so why do we give the uh, Zechut, let's say, to the witnesses? So al Bag explains because once the witnesses know going in that they're going to be involved in killing somebody, they'll be more accurate and precise in their testimony. You know, if somebody else is going to kill, so therefore they maybe don't have so much uh, responsibility. But once they know they're going to have to kill somebody, so therefore they'll be very careful to say the testimony exactly uh, the way it is. Um, the exception to the rule is, if somebody murders, so then the Torah says that the family members come first when it comes to actually uh, uh, giving the execution. Uh, furthermore, uh, a general rule is, let's say, Has uh, the Edim, interesting case, the Kabbalah says, let's say the Edim, God forbid, they don't have hands. What happened, let's say, let's say they gave testimony, and after they gave their testimony, Alin had an accident, and one of the idim lost their hands. So because the Pesu says, yad so if they don't have a Yad, so it comes out that the, uh, the, the person who's on death row gets off. You can't kill him because of a technical, we call that, because he doesn't have a Yad. Except for murder. Murder is the exception, because Bet Din uh, will kill it, and therefore, uh, as we said earlier, that the family goes first when it comes to Not so That We really don't care too much about the Edim more than the, the family members. Uh, furthermore, uh, the knife that's used in sayif, what is it? what do we do with it after the, uh, the execution? So the al says that the knife itself becomes Asud Bahana'ah, and they actually bury it. The custom was that they would bury it not in the grave with the actual uh, uh, guy that they killed, but they would bury it within four amot and uh, just as a, you know, that's also a kaparat, a to put it in the grave itself, but they would put it uh, next to it. Again, today, as we learned, we do not have mitat mitot bedin, do not apply only when we have erz and the bedin in Yerushalayim. However, nonetheless, as we learned, that the deen of Arba mitot still applies today. So, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the can bring a person to different types of deaths, that are similar and comparable to these deaths as well. So therefore, person shouldn't think, well, since they don't apply today, so you're dodging a bullet or you're escaping. So there was still one has to be very careful. Although there's no justice in the system of bedin, but the Bedin Shilmala still has a system of justice. And according to the uh, Hinuch again, all these things are to make us better people, less akzarik, even on an Ebed Kenani. Baruch mitzvot 51. The law of Niske Behema. Torah says that if a person's animal damages, so Bedin is obligated to judge the Mazik, <clears throat> and therefore, under certain circumstances uh, which we'll discuss, the bet will decide how much the compensation to the Nizak, to the one that was damaged, is going to be. The source of this Pasuk is in Shemot, Perech Aleph, Pasukim Chaf Chet, really Bet. Pasuk that will quote is If an ox gores a man Or for that matter An ox gores an ox Doesn't matter whether an ox gores a man Or an ox gores a animal So there is going to be uh, payments So we have a few laws over here uh, Any animal that damages means uh, not in the normal way. For example, an animal is not naturally a gorer. Uh, the first time, the second time actually, the third time that it gores, that's considered an aberration. And therefore, the animal is considered a short time, and therefore the punishment monetarily is Hatsi The owner only has to pay half damages. <clears throat> and not, not only does he pay half damages, but it is not more than the value of the animal that damaged itself. Which means, let's say, the half damages comes out to $1,000, but the animal itself is only 500 bucks. Uh, Just uh, give him the animal, that's it. You don't have to pay more than the goof of the animal that damaged itself. Now, when an animal damages after three times, on three consecutive days, or I should say three days, And there was a warning uh, in Bedin, then the animal turns into a mu'ad. Mu'ad now becomes, uh, that's his regularity to damage, and now the rules are different. A mu'ad the owners are obligated to pay full value of the damage even from assets outside of the animal itself. An animal that killed a human, so the law is Bedin must stone that animal uh, it's a dangerous animal, obviously, and the animal is put to death. Furthermore, if you have an animal that is a uh, muad and killed a person, the owners have to make a compensation and compensate the yorshim of the dead person in order to relieve themselves from a punishment uh, Furthermore, uh, when it comes to damaging, a person is obligated uh, in the damages of his animal, whether it damaged in the reshut of the one that got damaged or in the public domain. However, if the damages took place in his property, which means the animal came into his property and he damaged him, he's patur. Because he could tell him what he's doing in my property. He shouldn't have been there in the first place. Furthermore, the, um, the laws over here are dependent on did the owners watch their animal or not. <clears throat> the says that a shor mu'ad, say a wild animal, so the law is, as long as the owners made some sort of protection to the animal, that's called shimira pehuta, whatever the Gemara defines it, in the sixth pedic over there, in babakama, but nonetheless, if the animal was watched, even a small watching, shimira pehuta, minimal watching, the owner is patur. However, when it comes to a, uh, this ketam, then he's only patur if it was a shemira me'ula, or it was a, a, a bigger shemira. Furthermore, this mitzvah only applies when there's judges. It's a law on the judges, actually. They have to be judges that are semuchim. We don't have simikha today. We don't have bedin, so therefore they cannot enforce this payment. However, payment itself applies to men and women. The law is on the bedin to enforce it. But again, the ones that have to pay it would be men and women. The two ways to look at this law why the Torah obligates an owner of an animal to pay for the damages of his animal. Some say it just comes from the fact that you didn't watch the animal. And Therefore, you're responsible for your animal. and Therefore, it all depends on Shemirah or not Shemirah. And therefore, you didn't make a Shemirah you're guilty. If you made a Shemirah, you're off the hook. It's all about just protecting your items. Some want to say that the person's assets are actually mm-hmm. an extension of the person itself. And therefore, just like you're obligated on your own actions, you're obligated on the actions of your animal. Uh, uh, <clears throat> that's a uh, uh, different way of looking at it. That it's a niske mamon is like niske gufo. And some want to say a little more uh, uh, uh douche way of saying it, that really the animal is obligated to pay. You can't have an animal to pay. So therefore, who has to compensate the uh, owners? You go to the animal, the animal's going to pay? So, well, the owner of the animal has to take on the responsibility of his animal uh, as well. That's brought down in the Sefer uh, City De'esh, where he comes along and says, ki adabar, mutal ala which is a There's a on the animal to pay the damages that it did. Shekin she goes back to the Seferah we just said. When God gives a person assets, it's not only for his benefit, but he also has obviously responsibilities on those assets, and therefore he has to be uh, responsible to watch them. And if he doesn't, he's going to be obligated to have to pay for them. Again, the reason for this mitzvah is obvious, the says. He says, I don't have to repeat it every time I tell you these type of mitzvot. Without this system... There'll be wild animals running in the street. Nobody will be watching the assets. The streets will become very dangerous. And if you're not going to make people compensate others for their damages, so then you're going to have, uh, you know, a bedlam. You're just going to have people damaging all day long. No one's going to take responsibility. So for safety and for justice reasons, the Torah uh, demands that a person has to watch not only what he does, but watches the uh, damages of his assets. Baruch Adonai, Amen. Rabbi we continue the Tariyag Mitzvot. And we're up to today. The 52nd mitzvah. Shelo le'echol shod So the Torah is over here talking about a case where an ox gored and killed somebody. Killed a man. So the law is over here that the shor needs to be stoned to death. So the law says that once the bedin rules... That the shore is Hayabita. So even if they slaughter it subsequently properly, once already Bedin was posik, that the shore should be Niskal, immediately the Basar becomes Asur. Shine emar velo ye'achel et Besaro. That's in Shemot Khafalef Khafhet. Now it's not only a shore we're talking about. But for that matter, any of the mazikim, behibah, haya, va'of, again, that is put to, sentenced by bedin, so the meat of that animal is asur, even if it is slaughtered correctly. Now the shortest of the mitzvah, I'm quoting the Sifat HaChinuch verbatim, shekol mi takala al that any, in this case, creature, that a takala, that a stumbling block came through it, like this animal over here that killed, So it's distance and it's despised by God. And even if a uh, mistake or an accident happened by Shogig, I mean, the animal ultimately says the daat Really doesn't have Da'at. And still the Torah says, you have to get rid of it. And what? You can't even eat it. Because she can't What will this halakha bring you to? It will cause us to be a little more careful in our deeds. So basically this halakha tries to teach you that if God distanced this animal so much so, you can't even eat it even after you slaughtered it. So what's living? It's dead. Might as well eat it. No, keep this away. So that'll mm-hmm. make you think twice and actually be a little more careful and responsible for your actions. This obviously, this halakha applies. This is a lot to Zikharim mm-hmm. Zicharim oh. and nekebot, that both male and female are forbidden to eat from this animal. Uh, this applies obviously in Eretz Yisrael only. The time of Bedin, when they used to make Pesach on Shoran Iskal. of course you need a Betin of 23 to make this ruling. Somebody transgresses this mitzvah and eats from the korban, even after it was slaughtered correctly, he transgresses a lot ta'aseh and the punishment is malkut. And now the she'ela that the Bach asks in the she'elot utshuvot is the following. today, we do not judge a Behemal eskilah. So therefore we don't have this this law. Uh, so the question is over here, if let's say an animal indeed kills. So in the olden days, before Bedin was posik, we weren't allowed to slaughter it at that point. Why? Because the halakha says, you have to give a chance for Bedin to make a ruling. You can't jump the gun and say, well, I'll slaughter it before Bedin gives the psak so I could eat it. Halakhah says, no. You have to follow the Torah law that says what? You have to allow that process to take place. So therefore, in the olden days, if an animal, let's say, killed, the law was right away, you have to put it, in, uh, uh, put it on the side, wait for Bedin to make the rule It today. Today, we don't have Bedin. So if an animal kills today, it should be permissible, maybe, to slaughter it and, uh, and eat it uh, right away. So what would ultimately be the, uh, the halakha? So, some want to say that indeed uh, it's, uh, it's permissible for that reason. Because since the whole reason that we're waiting is to bed din, and there's no bed din today, so we might as well slaughter it. Some even say it's better to slaughter it. Get rid of a dangerous animal. This animal killed already, so we might as well slaughter it. What are to do? Just let it roam the streets, slaughter it, and eat it. And uh, Shalom a Israel. As the Pasuk says, Ubi Altahara Mikir that's the hat, uh, sevi says. But some want to say, unbelievable sevara, which is appropriate right after Tisha b'av. They want to say that even B'zman you shouldn't slaughter the animal. Why? Because we mitzaper every single day that the Beit HaMikdash is going to be built. And when the Beit HaMikdash is going to be built, the Sanhedrin will be put back in its place. And then we'll take the animal to the Sanhedrin and we'll pass in the Sikila Law, like the Torah says. So therefore, you shouldn't slaughter it uh, in order to anticipate that the Bedin actually will be able to make the ruling. Now the Torah comes along and says that not only the meat of this animal is going to be asur, but the rest of the animal also is asur behana'ah. How do they know that? The Pasuk says, Mm The et comes to include even the things that are to the basar. For example, the, uh, the hide is going to be asur, the blood, uh, the fats, the gidim, which is the, the sinew, the bones, the horns, the hair of the animal, all these things are asur behana'ah. Furthermore, once Betin makes a ruling that this animal is hayav sekila, it becomes like a non-kosher animal. It becomes like a teme'ah. And therefore, let's say it's an animal that has milk. The milk becomes halaf teme'ah. And then you can't drink the milk. Or let's say it's a chicken, that lays an egg. That egg becomes now born from a Tamer bird, because Petim Paskin on it that it should be Hayab, Sekila, so therefore one would not allow to be eating even the things that come out of these animals. And therefore, again, the underpinnings of this law is to come along and say how careful a human has to be responsible. Adam Mu'ad le'olam, a person cannot come along and say, well, it was a mistake, I didn't see, I didn't notice, I was, uh, wasn't paying attention. Here the Torah says an animal that has no da'at, and still the Torah says we push it away to the furthest degree, so sheken, a human being has to, who has da'at, has to be extra careful and responsible for his actions. Baruch Tadyag mitzvot. We are up to the 53rd mitzvah. This is the mitzvah on bedin, in order to judge the damages of Bor. <coughs> this is referring to somebody that opens up a, a pit which causes a stumbling block uh, to, the, uh, to the Sibur and as a result causes damages the Torah says that he is taken to court and the judges are obligated to make him uh, make the uh, reparation and compensation the uh, Pasuk is in Shemot it's a Perech Ha'af Aleph it's Pasuk Lamed Gimal Yiftah Ishbor <clears throat> and then the Torah goes on to tell us how it's dealt with. Now, uh, one of the about board is the Torah says that the owner of the board has to pay. And now a, uh, uh, a technical problem over here is that if a person, let's say, digs a bor, a pit in the public domain, so you really can't say that he's the owner of the board because the public domain doesn't belong to him. So one of the hadushim that the achim tell us is that even though a bor b'rishut shutarabim does not belong to the owner, the Torah put it in his position, or in his possession, I should say, in order to obligate him. Which means it's one of these uh, quasi-ownerships that the Torah says even though you can't own something in the public domain, it doesn't belong to you, but we're gonna make it as if you do own it in order that you be obligated to pay for the damages uh, that are caused. Uh, the law is that when a person has to pay, he has to pay either from his assets or he has to pay from the finest of his properties which is called a deed. This law applies only to males. What do I mean by that? Because it only is enforced by betting and betting obviously is males and not females. However, the uh, payment for damages does not, applies to everybody, it applies to both male and Female. Furthermore, the law says that the obligation to pay damages is only for shor velo adam, hamor velo kelim. Only for the damages of an animal that falls in and not a person that falls in. Now why would a person not be obligated to pay if a human falls in? He put a stumbling block in the public domain. And the Gebarah says, because humans have to be aware of where they're walking. Adam Mu'ad olam, and the person should watch himself while he's walking on the street. For that matter, if let's say vessels, Kelim, fell into the board, the owner of the board is Patur to pay for vessels. Why? Because vessels don't walk by themselves. Vessels usually are carried by a person. So again, the person that was carrying the vessels should have watched where he was going. So therefore there is no obligation in such a case. And of course, the Gemara makes a difference between the size of the board. If the board is ten tefachim deep, then he's obligated. Uh, if the animal dies, because that's already a size the Gemara uh, ascertains that can kill an animal. If it's nine tefahim, which is one tefah less, the Gemara says that board is not uh, capable of killing, but it's capable of damaging. So we have to measure also the size of the board. Finally, the halakha does give dispensation that sometimes it's permissible to put a stumbling block into the shuh uh, and he has the permission, for example, a person is allowed to have his drain pipe uh, from his roof, take the waste, the waters, and the waters will flow into the public domain. Otherwise, he's going to have flooding in his house. So the halakhah does allow for the drainage to go into the public domain. Furthermore, uh, for a person building his house, the uh, halakhah did allow to temporarily put, let's say, the building uh, bricks or the, the wood or the different materials temporarily in the public domain on the side in order that he could build. Uh, in those cases, however, the halakhat does say, although always allowed to put it there, but if somebody gets damaged, he's going to have to pay. Whereas there are certain cases where not only do we allow him to put it there, but if somebody gets damages, the owner is exempt. And that's the case the Sifat Hainouk brings down, <coughs> the Hanuk says that uh, people, when they build their homes, they need they need to build foundations to their homes. And uh, they would build a foundation around the house, and that foundation might go into the Shushu Abim a little. So he says, uh, Yesodot Those that are building Yesodot. Patur. Why are they going to be patur? Uh, the simple explanation is, he says here, yeshuva ares, which means (laughs) you can't build a country without building foundations to your homes. So it's almost as if it's assumed that everybody forgives each other on that. There's certain uh, uh, practices that the society accepts upon themselves that you do it, we're going to exempt it. If I do it, you'll exempt me because they know that if you're not going to allow that type of uh, practice, so then again you're not going to be able to establish the country again. The logic of the law is obvious. The Torah does not want you to put damages where you could damage other people's property. And therefore, if Betin doesn't enforce it, so then already people will start to be uh, lax in their, uh, in their uh, behavior. And therefore, we see the Torah is very concerned about public safety, not only the safety of people, but one has to be concerned about not damaging the assets of a, another person. This does not only apply to board. It's applied to any stumbling block that a person puts in the public domain. Uh, if he put it there, so that he's responsible again for paying for the damages. We're learning the Mitzvot. We're up to the uh, 54th Mitzvah. That's the Mitzvah on Bedin. To judge a Ganav. What is a Ganav? A ganav is somebody that takes the money of his friend. Either he takes it from his house or from his pocket. At a time that he doesn't know. That means he's doing it without the knowledge of the one that is getting stolen from, as opposed to a gazlan that's done right in front of him. So the Torah says in Shemot, When a person steals, so then already it depends what he steals, but once he gets caught by two witnesses in Bedin, so then, there's going to be uh, laws. For example, if a person steals money and two witnesses bring him to beti, not only does he have to pay the kirim, which is the principal, he has to pay kafel, which is a kanas, which is a, a penalty that he has to pay double. If he steals a shod, for example, and uh, he sells it, or a sheep, and he sells it, or let's say he slaughters it, so he has to pay five times the amount for a shod, four times the amount. For a seer, a shomer, which is a watchman, let's say, that is watching a collateral. And he comes along and he claims that the collateral got stolen. And they find out that actually he stole the collateral. So the halakha says that he's considered a ganab as well. And he has to make the <coughs> compensation. If he does not have what to pay back, the tu'ras has been nebato. He has to get sold into slavery to pay back. Furthermore, we have the case of mahtirit. That's a ganab that comes into somebody's house. And is uh, going to steal from him. So the Torah says that we look at him like a Rodef. And the Torah allows us to kill him before he kills the owner. This law applies to zikharim, to males. What does it mean, males? Because this is a law on bedin. And since only males are able to sit on the bedin, so therefore it's their obligation uh, to enforce the law. <coughs> the question over here is uh, regarding... Uh, today. Today we do not have bedin of simukhim. Semuchim means you have to have judges that were already musmak from the times of Moshe Rabbeinu and each rabbi was somech, his student, and you can trace the simicha all the way back. So we don't have bedin today. So clearly we do not judge the laws of kefil anymore. Kefil cannot be judged only with bedin, simukhim. The question is, if let's say somebody stole and he just wants to get the principal back, he doesn't care about the carefield. kefil, okay, you'll we'll have to wait till Mashiach for kefil. But he wants to get back his principal. So the Sefer HaRenuch brings down that although there's no kefil today, however, keren bizman hazeh, the beddin is able to rule. The question is, why? So the rule over here is, Generally speaking, the Tosfot and Gittim teaches us a principle that when it's necessary, we say that the Dayanim, even though today they are not Musmach, which they don't have Semikha today, but we consider, consider them the agents, the Shilichim of the previous generations that were Musmach. So it's as if they're coming on the strength of the Musmachim. Even though there's no Musmachim, it's manazir, but You have to say Musmachim, it's man... So you have to say two things. You have to say that the rabbis in Chutz Aris are the of the rabbis of Eretz Yisrael from a previous generation that were musmachim. Why are we making such a stretch? So the postkim say because otherwise you're going to have over here injustice. People are going to steal money and nobody's going to be able to enforce to get the money back. So the rabbis allowed the rabbanim she'enam musmachim today. The person goes to Bedin and he says the guy stole from me. Betim will be able to make a, a judgment on such a case and give him back the Kerin. But again, since uh, Kerfil is a knas, that much so, we don't, we don't say. So the question is, let's say a guy really stole, and the Betim says, but we can't uh, punish you, Kerfil. And the guy went and he took the Kefil on his own. So there's a big question if a person takes the law into his own hands. Will the Betim say, hey, we didn't uh, give you a psak on Kefil. So does he have to return the kefir or do we say, since legally the kefir belongs to him, once he took it, he took it. So there's two sheet on that. Some of the Aharonim say, that listen, we'll only let you take something that's keren, something that's principal, but to take a profit, that already we're not gonna let you take in your own hands. Others argue and say, no, the Torah allows him to take this profit. Therefore, if he took it, the beti does not have a right to tell him to return it. Nonetheless, we see over here, the law of the Ganab. The shortage of this mitzvah obviously is the same shortage of all the other laws. Uh, if the Torah is not going to put a punishment on a Ganab, so then people will have a uh, free right to other people's money. And then there's not going to be any law and order. So the Torah uh, comes along and says that in this case over here, not only does he have to pay, but he has to also pay a penalty. Baruch Allahu Amen, Wasallam, Amen. We're up to the fifty-fifth mitzvah. Again, this is a mitzvah on bedin. Ladun b'nezek, shen The Laws of damages, a person's animal goes into the reshut of the nizak, goes into the uh, domain of the one that it damages and either eats, let's say, fruit or product or uh, damages with his leg kicks or tramples, so the Torah says in Parashat Mishpatim, mm-hmm. in Perech Avgim pasuk Dalet, Ki Ish, the Gemara learns over there that Yiv'ar is referring to Shen, and it says in the same Pasuk, V'shilach, Et Be'iroh, the Gemara learns Be'iroh is referring to regil. Since it's in the same Pasuk, the Sifir Hanu counts it as one Mitzvat Asir again for Beddin to make judgments on people's animals who damaged either through shen or regel, Clearly this mitzvah only applies to male, meaning again, it's a mitzvah on beddin. And since beddin, only male are able to serve, although the laws of damages apply equally to men and women, both regarding damages and being damaged. Of course, men and women are equal. Beddin that shuns their responsibility and does not judge is over on mitzvat ase. The Torah says that the payments must be made either through money or shabek kesef, which means metal or it can be paid with karka. The Torah says, metav yishalem, so the law is they must pay the quality of karka that is the highest quality that the Gemara refers to as idit. Now there is one exception of shen beregel, and that is b'rishu tarabbim. The law is that if an animal damages uh, somebody else's property via shen or regal in the public domain, the owner is exempt. And the question is, why? What is the reason for that exemption? Harambam rights is because animals have a right to go into the Rishut Arabin, and it's the for them to be mazik, halichatam. so therefore since they are going shoot, so therefore there is no Obligation. Uh, the understanding of this Rambam is, is that Hanamam is saying that uh, since they have a petood or they have a right to be in that domain, so therefore there is not going to be a, 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 a damage. So according to Harambam, it comes out that let's say the animal is walking in the Shu'terabim. Since in that domain he's not uh, obligated, and let's say he stepped on something. And by stepping on something, it caused the damage in the shoot of the nizak. It was a long item, so he touched, he stepped on it in the shoot of the and as a result, it caused the damage in the shoot of the nizak. According to the rabbi, you patur because it goes according to the place where the animal is, not where the item necessarily is damaged. Some actually argue on that, and they say no, the chayuv is where the damage took place, and it was since the damage took place in the shoot of the nizak. Even though the animal itself was walking into the shooter beam, so still is going to be Hayab. so then the question is if that's the case, so why is an animal patoot if he damages into the shootana beam itself? So someone says because the owner should not have put his stuff there. The owner has to know in the shoot the beam animal's walking, so therefore he should not have put his stuff there. But um, uh, other, uh, others explain that actually the reason why an, uh, an animal is patoot in the shooter beam is because uh, it is a Gezirat HaKatuv. Gezirat Katuv And they bring some proofs that it must be a Gezirat HaKatuv that the Rajah says there's no Shin. V'Regel in Rishut One of the proofs they bring is is the case of, let's say, an animal goes into the Rishut nizak and takes fruit out of the hased, puts it in the Rishut rabim and eats it in the Rishut rabim. Shohan Aruch writes <laughs> patur. Why? He actually took the fruits out of the Deshut Rizak. Doesn't matter. He ate them in the Deshut Rabim. So you see, it's a Gisanat it's a, it's Katub. <laughs> We're just going it's kacha to not saying it's Or, for example, let's say you have a case where you're certain animals you're not allowed to have in, in Eres Yisrael. You're not allowed to grow Behemad Daka So that animal clearly was not allowed to be in the al Rabim. It wasn't allowed to be in the Rabim, it wasn't allowed to be in Eres Bechlal. Be and still the Halacha says that if a animal that is not allowed to be in this, or a dangerous animal, for example. It's still Avenue to the halakha says patur. So it seems over here that this would indeed just be a gezerat katur. So it comes out, we have a halakha that nobody argues on. The question is what, is, what is the reason? Is the reason, like Anambam understands, is because he has permission to be there, and therefore he are saying that he has permission to be there. So it goes according to where he is, and not where according to the damages. Or do you say no? It goes according to where the damages, and the reason why it's patudo is either because, like we said, uh, the owner shouldn't have put his stuff there, or because it is just a gesnetekadub. Obviously, the reason for these mitzvot goes back to the same law that if a person's going to know that he's obligated in bedin to pay for damages, so therefore have a little more. Uh, consideration or a little more responsibility to make sure that his animals uh, and property does not damage other people. Abotai, we're continuing our study of the Tariag Mitzvot. We're up to number 56. The Mitzvah of Bedin to judge those people that cause damages through fire, through Esh. As the Pasuk says in Mishpatim, Bed pasuke Kitze Esh that if the fire goes out, that's referring to a person that damaged his friend, for example, he lit his friend's field, or for example, he burnt something that belongs to his friend, even if the fire started in the uh, possession or in the domain of the mazik, and it went out by itself, and went into the uh, field of the nizak, is going to be hayav, again, because he did not watch his coal from damaging. This law applies only to males, because this is a law that is on bedin, and bedin can only be made up of males, and therefore they have the obligation to judge those that damage. Of course, but the law itself applies to men and women. That means a woman that damages, or a man, they are subject to the laws of paying for damages, and they are also subject to the law of being compensated if they are going to be damaged. That is a famous mahlokit. In the Gemara how do we look at the mazik of Ish, of fire? Rabbi Yohanan says, and the Shlakish says, One way of looking at the damage of Ish, Rabbi Yohanan says, it is like a person's arrow, that just like a person's arrow comes from him, and the arrow naturally goes and reaches its target and damages, so to fire, naturally leaves from the person and goes and damages as well and therefore has the status of a chetz. The shtakish argues and says you really cannot compare it to a chetz because a chetz is mikkoho. That at least is coming from his energy that he uh, pulled the the arrow and he causes the trajectory. Mashi'enke and is really not coming from koho of course, he starts the fire but then usually Either it goes by itself or a wind picks it up and, and takes it. So he says that the coal belongs to you and your damage, uh, your money that's mazik, you have to pay for. So there's a tremendous nafkamina if you're going to learn or. And that is the following. We have a halakha that says that if a man is mazik, if a person is mazik, so he has to pay the five damages: nezek, saad, shevet, ripui, boshet. However, if a person's money is mazik, so therefore he just has to pay for damages. So, therefore, if you say that it's ishur mishum khatio, so that's considered adam mazik. Adam mazik would be subject to pay the five damages if he damaged somebody, let's say. But if you hold it ishur mamonot, mamonot mazik, mazik, you only pay for damages as well. There might be another nafkamina as well, as brought down in the Tosfot, the Babakaman dafnun vav. Let's say you have a case where a person uh, was not careful with his fire, and the fire went out and not caused damage to his friend, but actually killed him. Now, obviously, it's not his friend. Or it could be uh, he wasn't careful. Point is, he killed somebody. So, is there a khayyuv mita now? In this case, so Tosfot says, well, if you say that so what would be the law if a guy shoots an arrow with his friend, God forbid, and kills him? So he's So therefore, he says, if you hold so therefore, it's like you kill him with your heads. And therefore, he will be Hayav Mita. Not everybody agrees with this. Again, uh, someone is say that the only time you'll be Hayav Mita is when you did a Ma'aseh siha. Ma'asin tzachah would mean, for example, you threw the guy into a fire. Or, for example, you took the coal and you actually put it on the guy. But even if you hold Yishu you have to say that this is not something that was biyadayim because you didn't put the fire on himself. There is koach achen me'orav, there is another force that is above, namely the wind that takes it or the fact that it just goes by itself. And therefore, according to that, he uh, would be patur from... But again the underlying factor of these halachot all are that a society has to punish people that are not careful with either their money or their, uh, in, in, uh, their nechassim that they cause it and allow them to be damaged. Of course the rest of these laws are discussed in, in which case of fire is going to be Hayab, which is the case of patur. For example the Gemara will tell us that tamun ba'esh is patur, that for example if a person lit his friend's field. And there was Kelim, let's say, hidden underneath the, uh, the brushes over there. So the uh, Torah exempted the damages of Esh on something that is Tamun, only on something that is galuy, and there's conditions on that as well. But that already is discussed in Baba Kama. But as we learned earlier, the law that's overriding over here is that the Torah wants a person to be careful and not to cause damages. And it's bet Din's responsibility to make sure that if somebody is damaged, That they have to take the case and they have to figure out exactly what the damages were and they have to enforce the law in order to make the reparations We are continuing our study of the Tariyag Mitzvot We are up to Mitzvah number 57 which is a mitzvah on the Bedin to judge in the laws of what's called Shomer Hinnam Shomer Hinnam is a watchman that accepted uh, to watch a, uh, an item for uh, for his friend. He's not receiving any reward for it. And the Torah gives strict laws exactly what the obligation of the Shomer hinam is regarding his responsibility towards that item. The source pasuk is Perech Pasuk Vav, in Parashat mishpatim where the Torah introduces it when it says ki ish ilda'ehu kesef Now this mitzvah of course applies in all places and it applies at all times. Even Bedin today, as we learned earlier, does have the right to make judgments on cases regarding Shomer Hinnam. Now, one of the uh, laws of Shomer Hinnam is the Torah says is sholei the b'pikadon. What does that mean, Shulayah Yad be pekadon Where the person makes a, a kinyan, the Shumer makes a kinyan on the Pikkadon with intention in order to take it for himself. So the law says that once the Shumer is Shulayah Yad be pekadon again, which means that he takes the item with intention to keep it, so then the law is now his obligation. Becomes much more, uh, much more serious. Where now he's obligated even on uh, circumstances of onus. Normally, a shemit hinam was not getting paid, so therefore you can't obligate him on things that are uh, you know beyond his control. After all, he's not getting paid to watch it, uh, so therefore his his it's called limited liability. However, once he uh, takes it to steal, there goes your limited liability. Now you're going to be obligated. No matter what happens to it, so there's a big question that the uh, and the harim, ask over here. Basically, what is the special law of shulayah yad b'pikadon? Why isn't it just regular like a gazlan? What, what, what was the Torah mehadesh to us more in uh, the din of shomer more than a regular case of a gazlan that we know a gazlan has to pay? So therefore let the Torah I just talk about. It. A guy was a Gozele pekadon. Is there a difference between a Gozele pekadon or Shliad pekadon? So the Mefadim over here give a, <clears throat> a few different differences. One difference would be if let's say a person picks up a Habit shel in a barrel of wine, he lifts up the whole barrel of wine, but his intent to make a kinyam, but his intention is only to steal part of the part of the wine, not the whole barrel. So Midin Gezela, he would be obligated just to pay the item that he intended to steal. But Shulach once he made a kenyan on the barrel, finished. He's Midi responsibility on the whole barrel. Another hadush the Gabi Shulach would be that really there's a law that says a gazlan is only Hayab if he took the item out of the reshut of the Be'alim. That's how you gozel, the guy has a, an item in his territory, you take it out of his reshut. However, a, sh- a shomer, so the shomer, the, the law says, is that his hand is like the hands of the ba'alim. So it's not out of the reshut of the ba'alim. So therefore, I would have thought that if a person should have, because he's not a gazlan, because you didn't take it out of the reshut of the ba'alim. Kamash ba'alan, that the deed of is different than gazlan. That even though, technically, it's still considered yadokiyad be'alim, but it's still going to be considered gazlam, medin shulayad, because his intention was, uh, was, intention was to take it. Finally, there would be enough kamina between gazela and shulayad be'pekadom. Let's say a person took an item uh, from the, uh, uh, the owner's house, for example, but his kavanah was aldat Shalim. Which means he, he took it, but his covenant was not to steal the item conclusively. His intention was uh, to, play, to pay. So in this case over here, uh, he would not be Hayab in liability like a, 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 a full liability. Because his intention really was to pay. pekadon is even if he takes it with intention to pay back, doesn't matter. Once he took it for himself, even though the gabi dinei gezelah, he would not be chayyav mitzad Liability because his Kavanah was to pay. But over here, by Shomlim, we're more machmid, that even if Shalem, he's still going to have to be responsible and be fully responsible. So, what do you see from Mehrabotai? That the Torah puts an onus on somebody that accepts upon himself to watch an item for somebody else. Porsky here uh, discussed the liability of uh, insurance companies today. That's not a shumed hinam, that actually you're paying them uh, to, uh, to watch something where their liability actually stems from. Because that's a situation where the shim- they're not actually taking the item into their possession. They're responsible for it when it's in your possession. So the post scheme have to discuss exactly how that works, that there could be a shumed, where the shumed itself is being responsible to watch it in the possession of the owners themselves. But that's for a different point. The logic of this law, is obviously. It's a positive commandment, the mitzvah on beddin. din, so therefore this law applies only to men in the sense, because only bed din are able to, only men are allowed to sit on Beddin. din, but bed din has an obligation, if two people come to them and there's claims in the small court, the gaber chenam, that was shodach ayah be pekadon, or he swore falsely that he doesn't know where the, what happened to the pekadon, then he was realized that the pekadon was in his possession. So there's a chayyuv on bedin to adjudicate such a case. Baruch al-Mahe Amen. Amen. Rabbi Hananiyam al-Gashor. Allah Baruch Rabbotai, Tariag Mitzvot. We're up to the 58th Mitzvah, Mitzvah T'ase al-Bedin, Ladun bidin, To'an ve'chofer. So the Mitzvah over here is Based on Pesukim in Shemot, Perichav Bet which begins with the words, Al Devar Pesha, Vechule, until Asher Yomar ki huze. All these Pesukim teach us that Bedin must be established in order to receive claims. If somebody is Toveya, their friend, whether it's in a loan, or whether it's a Picadon, a collateral, or whether it's Gezel, there has to be somewhere that the torah can go to to file his claims, and they'll hear what he has to say, and they'll make a judgment. The sifra chinuch writes, Vezu achat mitzvot, aleha kol ha-olam Even the goyim are obligated to set up a court system. Defi you cannot have a, a world of law and order without courts that mm-hmm. are going to listen to people's claims. She'ena <laughs> The world is established and settled with justice. amru One of the three, as it says at the end of the first parikhin avot, is justice. Now over here. The Sefer HaChinuch uh, goes on exceptionally long. And he starts to give us different examples of claims that would come to the Beddin. I'd just like to go through 20 of the examples that the Chinuch mm-hmm. goes through. Number one, he talks about the famous law that we learn, which is uh, the law of a person, Amodeh Miksata ta'ana that's a person. Let's say is modeh that he owes a peruta, but he's kofed be'shtema in kesef, so he has to make a shivua me'doraita. So normally we say modeh b'miksad. He has to be modeh at least in a shave peruta and he's Kofir. However, let's say you have a case of kelim. For example, let's say he borrowed, or the question is two needles. And each needle is less than a peruta. So the law is over there, even if he's moder, that I owe you one needle, but I don't owe the other, even though it's less than a shavet peruta, he still has to make a the uraita. Then of course you have the case of kofir bakol, where the person makes total denial that he owes nothing, he's patur from a shavua, from the oraita. Also the law of hodaat mimina ta'ana, and of course if they were to'en him that he owns Khitim. He owes wheat, and he comes along and says, I don't owe you wheat, I owe you seorim." So, of course, that is not obligated to shivuah from the Torah as well. The rule of hodaat ba'al-deen, kima'a edim that When the person himself comes along and testifies, or claims, or admits, I should say, that he owes, that's more valuable even than 100 witnesses. The law of shomrim, as we started to learn yesterday, shomer khinam, for example, that's torain avad, the shomer says, "Listen, I lost the object. Bedim will obligate him to make three shivuot. Number one, Pikadon uh, bershuto. I swear that the Pikadon is not in my possession. I swear number two, shelo pasha b'shemira that he was not negligent in the shemira. And number three, shelo shalach bo yad. Number uh, six is the law of sometimes a person is hashud b'shivua, which means certain people Din will not allow them." to make shivu'ah based on his behavior. The laws of migo. The laws of migo come and tell us that a person has an emanut if he could have said a different claim, and he didn't use that claim, so therefore it gives him more believability. The law of gilgul shivua, that migalgelin shivua, certain shavua we cannot put on a person, but once you put a shivuah that he's obligated on, you could already migalgel other shavua that even though he's not obligated on. The law of meshiv aveda, Enon nishba Mishum tikun olam. Alachas says if somebody's returning an avedah, and let's say the guy who he returns it to has a legal ta'ana against him. And now he wants to make him make a shivua, Medim will not make the Mashiv Avedah make a shivua again, because then people will not return those objects anymore. If they know they're going to be subject to shivua. Perot ta' omdim lechetafaim, is a perot that are destined to be uprooted because already they finished their growth. The question is: Are they considered like talush, or are they considered like karka? That we have kamina, the inyan shivuot. Furthermore, the dean of poleya hovo shelo Bifneha malveh paying a person's debt back not in front of the malveh, or for that matter, the law of a malve that took a mashkon against the halvaah. What is his status like a shomir? Is he considered shomir hinam, or considered a shomer sachar? Or for that matter, a lover that comes along and says, He says, they only paid half. And then Edim come along and say, no, he paid the whole thing. So wh- whose claim is believed? Since we have so even if he says he paid half and witnesses say he paid whole, his claim is stronger than the other witnesses. Furthermore, a person that pays his de- debt back through a shaliyah, we have a law of Adam shelo befanav. So, if he gives the money to the Shaliah and says, "I want you to be zokhe for so and so," enu yachod lachazorbo. Once the shaliyah gets the money, the fellow that gave it to him cannot be chazerbo, according to the laws of Shtarot, The laws of Shtarot, shelo tubo makom uzman. What's the status of that? As long as it has witnesses, the laws of achrayut, selling fields with guarantees with achrayut. Furthermore, the law of en mikabelim edut. You could only accept testimony in front of the one. You to, exactly. You have to testify in front of the one that you, has to be in front of you. And of course, the famous law, ta'am, the law of Ma'amad Shiloshtan. Ma'amad Shiloshtan says that if the for example, lent money to Shimon, so he could come along to Shimon in front of Levi and say, The money that you owe me, I want you to give to Levi. And that already creates a shi'bud, and he's obligated to give him that money. Of course, the famous law of Amutsima Haviru al varayah the law of that the one that's trying to take money out of his friend, the burden of proof is on the other person that's trying to take the money out, and the laws of Hazakah. And finally, the 20th law that he mentions is the law of Matzranut. Like it says in the Pasuk Vasita v'yashar, That what? That a neighbor has the right to come along and say, you have to sell me the property first. Even if the fellow sold the property, he could take him to Bedin to undo it. These are just some examples of monetary law and rules that Bedin would work with in order to judge the cases. The underlying rule again is, if people could just do whatever they want and there's not going to be justice and nobody's going to put things in order, then the world will just be helter skelter and there'll be chaos. And therefore, he says, even the nations of the world are obligated to set up a court system, although they might not be obligated to follow the rules based on the, uh, the halakhot that we mentioned here. But nonetheless, justice is mandated, as it says in the Mishnah, and one of them is Al-Adeen. Amen and amen. Rabbi.